let us pray. So, Father, it is our prayer that we would indeed love you, that we would love one another, and that we would love the world around us. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We may be seated. Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you here this morning. Um, I want to send a warm welcome to everyone. And um, Jason, thank you for pinch hitting. Um, David, on his last Sunday here, has lost his voice. And so all of a sudden, Jason appeared at the microphone in the middle of the, the 815 service. And thank you, Jason, and choir for singing loud. And the choir, yes, for, for singing loud. Um, are you going to sing a solo, Lorenzo? <laughs> But, but thank you all. Yeah, Father Jed just said Lorenzo's speechless with that proposition. So <laughs> anyway, good to have you all here. As we begin this morning, one thing I do want to mention to make everyone aware of, especially those watching via the live stream who um, watch so faithfully every week, next Sunday, just for that one Sunday, we are not going to be able to do a live stream. We have a missionary guest speaker next Sunday who is going to a sensitive part of the world, and we can't have um, a digital footprint, a video footprint of him speaking or celebrating at the altar next Sunday. So for those of you who watch via the live stream, two things. One, the sermon will still be put up on the website as an audio recording after the Sunday service, and we would encourage you... Um, each week, the readings for the Sunday service are posted in the um, newsletter that comes out. If you would read those, and then you could go back and actually watch um, like today's service, the Eucharist for today's service. But I apologize for that. But under the circumstances, we just can't live stream. It's just next week. We'll be back on September 11th again with our live stream. And I'll mention that again at the announcement time because I know folks are going to miss that and still try to dial in and wonder what's going on. But I would invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them or take a Bible from under your pew and turn to the 12th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews, our New Testament reading from this morning. And we are continuing today with part two of our sermon, which began last Sunday from Hebrews chapter 12. Last Sunday, we focused on verses 18 through 24 of Hebrews 12. And specifically, last week, we talked about the contrast and continuity between the Old Covenant represented by Mount Sinai in these verses and the New Covenant represented by Mount Zion in verse 22. We talked about how we have come to God, that we come through the cross of Christ and by God's saving, transforming power alone. We talked about we are being, how we are being remade into God's image as new creations in Christ. And there were seven specific aspects of this uh, in verses 22 through 24 of the who and to what. So we talked about the how, and then after that about the who and to what we have come as new creations in Christ. And here were those seven things which we unpacked last week. One, we've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. We've come to innumerable angels and festal gathering. We've come to the assembly of the firstborn. We've come to God, the judge of all. We've come to the spirit of the righteous made perfect. We've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And then finally, number seven, we have come to the sprinkled blood. The focus of these verses, verses 18 through 24 that we looked at last week, are primarily for the purpose of exposition. 
to lay out and explain step by step the eternal truths of God which are contained in these verses, especially regarding Christ's, his kingdom, and our redemption. In verse 25, where we'll begin our focus today for part two, there is a shift that takes place here, as William Lane notes in his commentary, a shift from exposition to exhortation. Exhortation makes the truth, make, makes application of the truths of God that have been received. So that which has been exposited previously, now we receive application for. And this challenge us, challenges and earnestly calls us to a godly response to the truths which are declared. These verses depict a poignant moment in the life of the congregation to which the letter of the Hebrews was written. They were a church at risk, worn down by persecution, rejection, and just generally by the hardships of life which were so much a part of life in that day. And this small but precious flock of God's people were in an incredibly vulnerable state because they were at genuine risk of disregarding and not living according to the blessings of the new covenant, especially as they're outlined in the preceding verses, verses 18 through 24 that we looked at last Sunday. William Lane in his commentary says this, spiritual and emotional fatigue combined to create a climate of apathy and insensitivity to the voice of God heard through preaching and through scripture. And that should serve as an important reminder for each of us. In the midst of the challenges and the pressures and the cares and the hardships of life that wear us down, we must guard our hearts so that in that period, in that time of spiritual and emotional fatigue, we do not enter into a season of apathy or insensitivity to the voice of God. We too, like the Hebrews, must guard against that. And for the Hebrews, all of this was a matter of urgent concern. For indeed, God had not changed. The realities of life and citizenship in his eternal kingdom were not altered by the temporal challenges they faced. Indeed, God continued and God does continue to speak. And that's our first point this morning. God continues to speak. Look at verse 25 with me. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. God who warned from earth. That points to God speaking through the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. To Old Testament Israel, when he gave the law on Mount Sinai. And do, we not, do not refuse him who warns from heaven, which speaks of the new covenant, inaugurated through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, the eternal Son of God. Remember how I emphasized last Sunday both the greater blessings and also the greater responsibility that comes with the new covenant. Remember we talked about that. That we being this side of the cross and resurrection have a 
much fuller picture. We have greater clarity. We are looking back to that which is complete and accomplished through Jesus Christ. And with that comes enhanced responsibility. Back in January of 2001, a little girl, 18 months old, by the name of Josie King, was hospitalized in the burn unit of a major hospital here in the United States. She had accidentally been burned with second-degree burns over 60% of her body during a bath. It was an accident. There was no abuse involved. And she was in the hospital for some time at this major burn center. And her mother noted that there were changes and things that did not seem right. She was vomiting. She... Um, her skin that wasn't injured just didn't seem right. And she tried to bring it multiple times to the attention of the medical staff. And they attributed it to this thing or to that thing or to um, the pain medication she was on. And in reality, she was becoming severely dehydrated. And the staff didn't recognize it. And tragically, Josie King died of dehydration in that hospital. In the aftermath of that, there was obviously a lawsuit, very legitimately so, and her family won a significant award. Um, but one of the things her family did with that is they established the Josie King Foundation. And one of the things, and if you work in the chaplaincy world in hospitals, as I have, you're very much aware of this, there was a book written about Josie King called The Josie King Story. But something that was implemented beginning in 2004 nationwide is rapid response teams or RRTs in hospitals. Is anyone here familiar with that term? I see Gretchen's hand going up back there. Yes. And the idea of a rapid response team is that anyone in the health system or any visitor can call a number which is posted in the room. If they see something that doesn't seem right, if they think a clinician or a particular staff member is missing something, whether this be a nurse or a tech or a housekeeping or a social worker or the chaplain or a family member or friend, they can call that number and a rapid response is called and a special team within the hospital then responds very quickly to that patient's room and assesses the situation. And the idea here is it is to curtail someone truly crashing, going into respiratory arrest, going into cardiac arrest. And I've, I've been present for a lot of rapid response teams. It's not a code where someone goes into cardiac arrest, but it's to cut things off at the pass and try to alleviate that kind of a crisis. And that grew out of the monies that the Josie King Foundation received. Now, why am I saying all of that? Well, like in the case of Josie King and like in the case of medical professionals who have a high level of training with knowledge, with understanding, with information comes a higher level of obligation and responsibility. And in a much greater way, the same is true with you and me as new covenant believers. With that complete picture to us, for us comes a much greater sense of responsibility and obligation Greater knowledge, complete information also entails increased responsibility. That's what God's word is pointing to here. God is still speaking. His word to his people when Hebrews was written and to us is unchanging. And like this fledgling church, 
we must guard our hearts against apathy, complacency, and spiritual lethargy. To ignore, to disregard the voice and call of God, to disobey the gospel will incur God's judgment. Yes, I know that's a hard word, but it's true, and that's what the clear message of these verses is. If we back up to Hebrews chapter 10, leading up to this passage of Scripture, verses 28 through 29 of Hebrews chapter 10 says this, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Brothers and sisters, you and I must heed the voice of God. We must not refuse our God when in his great love and concern for us he speaks. Instead, we need to promptly respond to his voice, promptly respond to the truth of his word in full obedience. Parents of young children know well there are times when a child is going to do something that is unsafe or disobedient, and you explain the reasoning why. There are other times when you simply have time to say, no, like when a child is about ready to place his or her hand on a hot stovetop. There isn't time to explain, you're going to really get hurt and this could damage your skin and you could be scarred. No, that's what we have to say. We can explain it later, but in that moment, there needs to be a prompt response. The same is true for us as children of God. When God says no, when God says yes, we need to respond promptly as God's obedient children. Even if we don't know the reasoning behind things sometimes, God does those things. God says no. God says yes to us because he always has our best interest at heart and because his will is to protect us from wickedness and harm. The wonderful truth we see here is that we don't have to refuse God. The glorious truth is that none of the things that were negative that we just talked about need to be that way. No trampling of the Son of God underfoot. No profaning the blood of the covenant. No outraging the spirit of grace. I'll have more to say about that a little bit later. But God is indeed still speaking. The second thing we see here in verses 26 through 27 is that listening to God's voice is the crucial factor. We're going to move through these verses a little quickly because there's a lot to unpack here. But when we read this, I think most of our minds immediately jump to things like final judgment, the future transformation of the world, and the destruction of all that is not of God. While these things are certainly not absent from what is referenced here, this is not the primary focus or concern of the writer in these verses. The focus here is not so much a future, so much a future coming event as it, as it is, excuse me, the focus here is not so much a future coming event as it is concerned about the spiritual health and well-being of these believers. 
in terms of the lives of these believers, the essential difference is not so much between things that have been made and that which is uncreated. The key distinction here, the defining factor, is their relationship with God. The concern is not then on the future of the created universe. It is first and foremost, rather, on the future of this specific Christian community. The testings, trials, and shakings which God allows will only be successfully navigated by those both then and now who live in grace and fidelity to the truths and realities of God's eternal kingdom, who remain close to God and who walk in obedience to Him. It's about continuing to yield to the transforming work of God, God's power at work in us. And yielding in ever greater measure to this leads to godly character, inside out, through and through. And we're not talking here, to be clear, about a list of do's and don'ts. Please don't misread what I'm saying. But it's about the transformation that we even spoke about last week, transformation that comes through life in Christ. Remember the words of Anglican priest, Church of England priest John Newton. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Grace, God's transforming work in us, teaches us right fear, a holy awe and reverence for God and His character. And at the same time, it relieves that fear in the sense of dread, dread of eternity separated from Christ, Dread and anxiety regarding the temple, temporal concerns and the things around us in the world that seem wrong and misplaced and messed up because we have the assurance and the peace that we are in God's hand and that He has us in His care. Listening to God. Listening has transformed new creations in response to God's voice. Listening to His call is the crucial and decisive factor. And then finally, listening to God's voice defines the trajectory of our lives. Did you hear that? Listening to God's voice defines the trajectory of our lives. Let us be grateful. Let us be thankful. Look at verses 28 through 29 with me. Therefore, let us be grateful for, for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Again, let us be grateful. Let us be thankful. It's easy. It's easy for every one of us to fall into the trap of not fully grasping the magnitude of of a gracious gift bestowed upon us. Quite a few years ago now, I had the privilege of going on two missions trips to Bolivia. Um, one was to work on building a school, a mission school in a poor community. And the other was to help with the building of a church. Both of these were in the area of Santa Cruz, Bolivia, which is in the lowlands, not up in the mountains around La Paz, where the whole time you're there, you can't get your breath, and you think you're gonna have a heart attack. <laughs> Um, but in the lowlands, which is hot and humid. And in building that church, 
We were, as a team, most of what we were doing was related to laying brick and building up the walls of the church. It was a team of about 25 men. And, you know, we were laying brick. We were covered with mortar and your clothes get really dirty. And has anyone here ever tried washing clothes or had clothes that were covered with mortar or cement or that sort of thing? You know what I'm talking about. Well, during the week, the two weeks rather, that we were there into the second week, the ladies of the church that we, the congregation that we were building their building came to us through the missionaries and said they wanted all our dirty work clothes and that they wanted to wash them which was a very kind gesture. But it would have been very easy from our perspective here in the United States to not realize the magnitude and the love of the gift that they were giving because, you know, here you throw it in the washing machine, take it out of the washer, you throw it in the dryer with your fabric softener sheets, you take it out and you're good to go. For these ladies... That meant they took all of our clothes, like the clothes of 24 men covered with concrete, down to the river. They waded into the river, and they beat them and scrubbed those clothes on rocks to get them clean for us. I will say they were a little stiff when they came back. It's not quite like bounce. But the incredible love and labor and kindness that was in that gift that they gave us And it would have been very easy to have missed what a sacrificial and loving gift that was on their their parts. How much more has God done for us? And it should fill us with thanksgiving. It should fill our hearts with awe for Him because of His incredible gift and grace to us in our lives. To fill us with thanksgiving. And thanksgiving leads to worship. As we read here, worship with reverence and awe. Worship is not just about singing songs. It's not just about coming together on Sundays as Christ's church. Yes, these things are incredibly important and they indeed are part of our worship. But our God calls us, calls you and me to something far greater than this. Because of what he has done, the entirety of our lives should be an act of worship to him. We worship God. God calls us to worship him wholeheartedly. He calls us to continue to yield to the voice of His Spirit, to continue to yield to His transforming work in us. And as He does that, our lives increasingly demonstrate faithful, loving obedience to Him. And our worship of God in reverence and awe, it grows toward a singular desire. One desire that with the entirety of our being, we live for God so that our desire is Him. And every aspect of who we are grows to even more fully express our complete devotion and surrender to Him. 
brothers and sisters, when this happens, when this growth continues to happen in our lives, in this, God rejoices. In this, God sings over us. In this, God, our God, who made us and who has redeemed us, he finds great delight in you and in me. God is indeed still speaking. His voice is not muted. His word is unchanging. The Holy Spirit of God is always true. We must be attuned in ever-increasing measure to listen in obedience and wholehearted, timely response to God's voice. As we do that, we know that listening and obedience to God's voice defines the trajectory of our lives, not just now, not just tomorrow, not just for life here on earth, but for all of time and eternity. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you indeed are still speaking, that your truth, that your character is unchanging, that the work of your Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, to transform and to make us into the image of Christ is still very much going on. The Spirit is still holy and fully at work. So Lord, may we be attuned to your voices, not just with our ears, but with our hearts. And Lord, may I, our desire be you and you alone. So that as we listen and we respond in fidelity and obedience, out of love and thanksgiving and reverence for who you are, the trajectory of our lives would point to you and glorify your name. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.